Uh, today we remember why we praise. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 19, verses 37 through 40. You can follow along. It'll be on the screen. Luke writes this. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. And here's what they were saying. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. It's good for us to just say that out loud. Would you say that out loud with me? Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the, in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Ah! That's in the original, that sound. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Ah! Teacher! Rebuke your disciples. Uh. You have to be a scholar to know those nuances. I'm here for you. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Today we remember why we praise. So what was happening at this stage? What's going on here in this scene? Well, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem in anticipation of Passover. It's Holy Week. Remember, we praise in anticipation today, and we praise in celebration next week. So he, Jesus, is, Jesus is on his way. Woo, that's right. You might as well tell somebody Jesus is on his way. Well, he is. If we were in a different place, we'd say, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. But Jesus is on his way. And the crowd is super jazzed about miracles. And they should be. How many are glad for what God has done in your life? For today, just during prayer time, somebody just came today, gave their life to Jesus, right during our time in worship. How many are glad? How many are glad for all that the Lord is doing? So what we, what's actually happening is that Lazarus has just been raised from the dead, not just a few days before. Jesus, I mean, so Lazarus is, lives just out of outside of town with his sisters, and that's actually where Jesus spends the night, most of the nights during Holy Week, he goes back to Lazarus' house. And just a few days before, Lazarus has been raised from the dead. And so there's a crowd that's joining with Jesus of disciples, thrilled over all the miracles they had seen. And there's also a crowd coming out of Jerusalem. Jerusalem has swollen two and three and four times its normal population because of the Passover. So there's a crowd coming out, and there's a crowd coming this way. This crowd is welcoming and celebrating what they're anticipating. These people are celebrating what they have seen, and it's all surrounding Jesus. And Luke has already told us that, that before we read this, that Jesus is riding on a colt, and that, that the crowds are taking off their outer garments, their cloaks, and they're spreading it on the ground before him, creating like this royal carpet for him as he approaches. What Luke doesn't mention are the palm branches. I don't know why, but he doesn't mention it. The other gospel writers do, that the crowd had gathered branches from around the area and were waving them as they're shouting. What are they shouting? They're shouting praises from the psalm that we began the service with, Psalm 118. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They're shouting Hosanna. Somebody say it again. Hosanna. We read that this morning, but we, we read it in the translation when we read 
we read, save us now, bless us now. That's the term Hosanna. Save now, bless now. It was a cry for help, but spoken with the voice of praise. It was a, so those, those things are not opposite. Our cry for help are not, are, are not separate. They're not different. They're not separated from our, the voice of praise. We cry out for help with the voice of praise. And this is what they were doing. What is happening then is that Jesus is riding toward Jerusalem on a colt. The crowds are shouting Psalm 118. He's, and their, their cloaks are on the ground and they're waving palm branches. Now it's important for us to understand that, that, that the, the prophetic implications of what's going on that Jesus was aware of and that the gospel writers in hindsight are aware of. Jesus is, is purposely enacting a prophecy from the book of Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Here's what it says. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. Listen to the verbs. The, all the verbs are happening in, the, in, in our story this morning. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Righteous and victorious, low and riding a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah continues and says, He will proclaim peace to the nations, and his rule will extend from sea to sea. This is what they were doing. They were rejoicing greatly. They were shouting. And this is who what was coming, their king, righteous and victorious, but lowly, humble, riding on a donkey. Jesus was enacting. He was demonstrating who he is and what he came to do. And that is why they praised. It's also important for us to understand the popular implications of what was happening. With regard to the palm branches and all of the shouting and the thing, the crowd was really feeling the vibe. Somebody said vibe. They were feeling this vibe of, the, of this celebration, an annual celebration, a remembrance of when 200 years before, uh, when, when Antichius Epiphanes was oppressing the, the, the Israelite people, that the Maccabean revolt occurred. And that in, under the Maccabean revolt, they said, we've had all we can stands, and we can't stands no more. And so the Maccabeans went into the temple, and they reclaimed the temple. They cleansed the temple of all of the stuff that Antichius Epiphanes had done, including sacrificing a pig and all of the idolatry. They cleansed the, they, 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 they reclaimed the temple, they cleanse it, and they drove off their oppressors. Then there, from there on, the Maccabeans declared that they should celebrate that event, which is where we also get Hanukkah, that they should celebrate that event by remembering it with, by the waving of palm branches. They've done this for 200 years. So uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff happening at one time. So the crowd is praising Jesus as the one who would come and cleanse the temple. And he did. The next day. He came in, but he didn't cleanse it from Antichius Epiphanes. He cleansed it from those who had, who had changed the temple from God's intent. He came in to restore it to be a house of prayer for all nations. And they were praising Jesus as one who would overthrow their oppressors. He would but he would not overthrow their oppressors, but their oppression. He would come and overthrow the sin and the darkness and even Satan himself that oppressed them. And that is why they praised. 
But there's conflict in the story. It begins with the crowd's praise, of course. We've already recognized the crowd's praise, that it was, it was tremendous, it was uproarious. Um, it's too bad. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of the, the, the Bible movies and TV programs, whatever, they do a pretty good job. But they, they always seem to just miss the, the magnitude of the multitudes. Uh, even the, even the chosen, when we were watching that and Jesus is teaching on the seashore and there's a good 25 people. I'm like, yeah, multiply that by a hundred or something. Yeah. And that's about where we're going. But, um, this, it would be very difficult for you to exaggerate how tremendous this celebration was. The, the people coming in, the people coming out and meeting at Jesus, Matthew, the book of Matthew, Matthew describes this. And when he describes what was going on, he describes it using the same word as earthquake. When he says that the, the city literally was like it was like experiencing an earthquake. There was so much celebration going on. And all of this had tremendous prophetic implications. They, they, were, they were crying out, blessed be the king. They were, they were literally, it was, it, they were calling, they were recognizing something divine happening, that the king was coming. All of this had incredible popular and political implications. It looked like that, a, that perhaps an insurrection was mounting. Here they are waving palm trees again. Uh-oh, here we go again. Something, something is about to go down in Jerusalem. Yeah. And it was. Therefore, we might, we might grasp or we might even recognize why the Pharisees are so upset. They wouldn't have been so upset if it was a no big deal, but it was such a big deal. The Pharisees come and they say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. This looks like, this has the appearance that someone thinks something divine. is. This is blasphemy. You think the king of kings is coming. They're treating you like you're God. Too much praise. Who do they think you are? It's too risky. This feels very political. This feels like something's about to change. Like there's an insurrection. Like everything that has been is never going to be the same. It's too risky. This is too much. And this is not the time for praise. Not the time for praise. Not everything is perfect. Not everything is in order. There's still some things undone. There's things left unfinished. There's still brokenness. There are people who are still sad. People still have needs around us. This isn't the time for praise. Put your praise away. Not everything is perfect. And this is not the place. This is not the place for such praise. Basically this. It is just too much praise. Put your praise away. It's too much. But what's Jesus' response? Jesus says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones themselves will cry out. Essentially, Jesus said it would be both improper and impossible to restrain their praise. It would be improper and impossible to restrain. Their praise is so appropriate. Their praise is so necessary. Their praise is so important that if they did not lift their voice in praise, the rocks themselves would cry out. 
Now, this could have, this, there's a couple of possibilities. We, we, we assume, everybody assumes Jesus is speaking proverbially. But, but the idea is, what, what's, what, what did he mean, the rocks themselves? He could have meant, the word is stones. He could have meant the stones of the temple, the temple itself. That the temple itself was erected not to be a permanent structure, but, in, but an anticipation of the, of the time when God, with all the sacrifices that occurred there, it, it, it was erected to, to say that there is a time coming when there will be a perfect sacrifice that occurs where, where we will not be separated from God by a veil, but that God, that God the Holy Spirit will move into the heart of mankind, that he will be our God, and we will be his people, and we will be with him and walk with him, and he will lead us. The, the temple anticipates something more. And perhaps Jesus said, you don't understand, these rocks have been anticipating my arrival. Or he might have meant, he might have meant, he might have meant creation. He might have meant the rocks around the ground, or even better yet, the mountains that surrounded Jerusalem that have been observing as silent witnesses the unfolding drama of redemption for generations who have been awaiting since God called Abraham, who have been waiting and waiting and waiting for this day to come, for Jesus to say, you don't understand, if these are quiet, the mountains will say something. I don't know if it's the stones of the temple or the mountains around them. Either way, it makes for really good preaching. It, either way, all I know is this ain't no rock gonna take my place. I will not be outclassed by a rock. Neither way, Jesus was not going to cancel their praise. Why? Why praise? Because first of all, Jesus never objects to praise. He never objects to praise. He never objects to too much faith. Easy now. Simmer down. Calm down a little bit. He never objects to it. He never objects to exuberant praise, exuberant faith. He never objects to praise because he knows that praise is always the right thing to do. And that's why we praise. Jesus knows that he knows what impact praise has on us. He knows what impact praise has on our minds. The way we think and the way we see, the way we process, the filter in our lens. He knows the, the impact that praise has on our hearts. How praise will remind us of who God is and stir us with fresh hope and fresh affection and, and rid us of, of uncleanness and rid us of despair and re recalibrate our heart to an awareness of God. He knows that the effect that praise has on our mouth. That if there's praise in my mouth, there ain't no room for other stuff in my mouth. He knows that praise is powerful. He knows that praise is how we fight our battles. He knows that praise is how we shake off burdens and bondage. He knows that praise is how we connect to the promises and the presence and the providence of God. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, King Jehoshaphat is surrounded by a foreign armies. He's, he's vastly outnumbered, vastly overwhelmed. He doesn't know what to do. But then the, 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 the prophet stands up and says this to the king, says to Jehoshaphat, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. See, we don't, people say, well, there's no time for praise. There's an army at us. This is clearly a time for panic. the battle is not yours but God's you will not have to fight this battle take up your positions stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you do not be afraid do not be discouraged 
So they assembled the army, but then Jehoshaphat said, okay, in front of the army, let's put, let's, the, the, let's, there's the army. They're going to have swords and shields and, and, and armor and helmets and chariots and horses. And there, well, here's the army, but in front of them, we will put totally unarmed, totally vulnerable, clad only with the garments of worship. We will put, we will put the singers. And they will sing this. Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. So as the armies of Judah marched out and the vast army that surrounded them saw them, the first thing that they heard, the first thing that they saw wasn't helmets, wasn't shields, wasn't the glimmer of armor, wasn't the sound of trotting horses. It was the sound of praise that said, give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. It doesn't look right. It doesn't feel right. We're surrounded by everything wrong, but we're going to give thanks to the Lord. And that day the Lord wiped out the enemy on their behalf. Paul and Silas are in a Philippian jail. Paul had had enough of a, of a demon that was harassing a young lady, and he cast that thing out of her. And people didn't like that. They didn't appreciate that. So they bind Paul and Silas, and they throw them in a Philippian jail. They beat them. They imprison them. They chain them, and they are stuck. Listen, it's not, it, it, it doesn't do us any harm to imagine the worst of the worst. They're stuck inside this prison. There's, there's no political correctness. There's no advocate for them. There's no lawyers arguing for their good treatment. They are beaten. They are starved. They are clamped in chains behind prison doors. It's bad. It's bad and it looks to get worse. And as it gets later and later and later and later in the night, it gets to be about midnight, about the time when it doesn't look like it's ever going to be right again. But the Bible says that about midnight, Paul and Silas began to lift their voice. They began to sing praise. They began to sing psalms and hymns of praise. And just about the time that it couldn't get any better, God sent an earthquake. And their chains fell off and the prison doors opened, not just for them, but for everybody who heard their praise. When my son was six months old, my firstborn son, Benjamin, he's six months old. And you need to understand, I know everybody, a lot of people have had kids. But when, I, when we had Benjamin, he was the only baby that had ever been born in the whole world. <laughs> the most beautiful, perfect thing I'd ever seen in my life. He was white porcelain skin like his mama, huge dimples, big blue eyes, round head like Charlie Brown. beautiful beautiful thing captured my soul he was born six weeks premature so it's even at six months he was super tiny and he needed a small uh non-threatening procedure just a little surgical procedure a little modification so we took him in and they, they we prayed and they took him into surgery and they brought him out and they said oh what a good baby he's such a good baby he's such a good And they said, oh, he's such a good baby. And he did so well. And they said, all right, we're just going to wait and let things, you know, heal up. And so they waited and they said, oh, 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 it looks like there's a little bit of a problem. The suture from the surgery, maybe it didn't quite take. He's bleeding. There's blood in the diaper. We just need to take him back in and just restitch him up. It'll be all right. We said, oh, okay, okay. And so they, they took him back in to stitch him up to, and it was going to be all right. And they brought him back out and. And we waited longer, and they said, well, it's not all right. The suture's not holding. He's still bleeding, and we think there's something wrong with his blood. We can't stop the bleeding. 
And so the first thing we do is we go to prayer, right? We go to prayer. We start praying. We call everybody. I'm sure our parents weren't far away. We began to call our folks for them to pray. Our, our pastor friends called them to pray. And we pray. And we wait. There's no change. Still bleeding. Can't fix it. No answers. Now the blood, they ran a blood test. They come back. There's something wrong with Benjamin's blood. There's something wrong with his blood. So now we go to confession. We grab the word. We begin to confess the word. You know, get, get the, we, you know, folks, always get the Bible. Get it, get it in your mouth. Talk it out loud. Especially when times are going south, it's no time to start murmuring, complaining, wondering, whining, attacking other people. Listen, things are going south in your life. Don't start attacking other people. Don't start complaining. Don't start getting bitter. Don't start making your closest friends your enemies. Don't make enemies out of your family. Get the word of God in your mouth and don't let anything else in there. So you begin, you begin to confess the word of God. You begin to confess it. You begin to repeat the scripture. More tests come back. No, nothing's going right. Still bleeding. Laura spends the night in the hospital. We come back the next day. The tests are bad. My beautiful, perfect, perfect, only baby in the whole world, blue-eyed, dimples, precious boy is dying. He's bleeding to death. And something's wrong with his blood. We do everything. Every prayer, every confession, everything. And I remember this. I can see it. I can see the room. I remember sighing and taking the chair that I was sitting on. It was a plastic chair with metal legs, and it was one of those hard linoleum-type floors with the squares, and I scooched it across the floor. I remember the sound the metal made as it scooched across the floor, and I stuck it underneath a window in the room, and I knelt down on that chair. Benjamin was behind me. His mama was behind me. The door was behind me. I took a breath, and I said, We give you praise. We give you praise, Lord, now and always. We give you praise. I sang the whole song. Probably sang it more than once. And waited, and it was quiet. And then, without exaggeration, with absolute confidence, I'll tell you this. The door opened behind me, and nurse walked in, and she said, we just had the results of the last test. Benjamin's blood is fine. It's perfectly normal. The bleeding is stopped. We'll get him ready to go home. Since, since some years later, they gave us another report. And they said that, he was that he had a condition that they couldn't help. And they gave us nothing but bleak news. And I died that day. I wept so hard, my father climbed on top of me to hold me down. And I wept and he wept. We were at a minister's gathering. Church was about to start. And he said, he said, son, don't worry about it. We'll all stay here. We don't need to go tonight. And I'm going to tell you this. I turned around, no more, stopped my tears, and I said, no, dad. You go to that meeting tonight, and you lift your voice in praise, because that's what we do. Because that's how we fight our battles. This is how we fight our battles. This is how... This is how we shake off bondage. This is how we recalibrate. This is how we connect our hearts to the promises of God, the presence of God. This is where we find our strength. And that's why we praise. Jesus knew that the crowds were praising in anticipation 
They were anticipating the Messiah. And they were praising in hope. Not everything was perfect. In fact, much was wrong. But they praised in hope. They cried out for help with a voice of praise that said, Save now! Bless now! They praised in robust anticipation that their hopes would be realized. And Jesus said that if they did not, the rocks would. Jesus knew that there was more happening than they could measure or understand. And although there was all kinds of things out of place, there was much unfinished, there was still more to do, Jesus knew that in all of it, God was working. That his plan of salvation was unfolding. He knew that sin would lose. That death itself would be defeated. That the ransom would be paid. And the victory would be won. And they praised. And Jesus said if they didn't, the rocks would. And that's why we praise. Therefore, friends, I want to say this. If they praised... If they praise without a full understanding of all that was happening around them, many people are condescending of the crowd saying, oh, they were praising, and they didn't even know what they were praising for. But Jesus blessed them for it, and we know what we're praising for. If they praised before their hopes were fully realized, and Jesus said it would be improper and impossible to keep them from praise, how much more should we? Because we are a people of hope. We are prisoners of hope. Our hope is not temporary. Our hope is not tied to some political shift. Our hope is anchored. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. My hope is eternal. My hope can't be moved. My hope can't be moved by darkness or death or disease or diagnosis or challenge or trial. My hope is immovable. My hope is immovable. My hope is immovable. My hope is is eternal. And my hope is immediate because the spirit of a living God who is not only the assurance of things hoped for, he's present in my life today to will and to work according to God's good pleasure, to empower me as a disciple of Jesus Christ, to demonstrate that Jesus Christ is alive. And that is why we praise. Friends, there is more for us too. There is more happening in and around us than we can measure or we can understand. There is still much more that we need. There is still much more that needs to be done. There is still more to come. But God is working. And praise is how we fight our battles. And praise is how we shake off chains. Praise is how prison doors are open. And praise keeps me aware of Praise keeps me confident. Praise keeps me trusting in the promise and presence and power and providence of God. And that is why we pray. hell begin to shake I gotta shout that brings dead men from their graves I gotta let it out gotta let it out gotta let it out why would I why would I ever stay silent 